You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. You can find this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, Google Play, YouTube, Voice Assistance, just say listen to After The Show Movie Podcast, and you can also find us on ascully.com where we post written reviews. With that out of the way, here are your hosts, Ascully and Sid Talk. Hello everybody, hello, welcome, welcome. Welcome, Sid Talk. Thank you. Am I not part of just everybody? I'd rather be part of everybody. All right. I will... <laughs> Don't single me out. I'm singling you out because you're the only person in the room. <laughs> so, um, what's the deal, Sid Talk? What's the deal? What's the before the uh, before the after the show discussion, wasn't? It was relatively limited. Talk about this movie. Talk about how cold it is in here. My cold feet. Your coldness in general. That was about it. That's thrilling. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can't fake it. We're not going to lie. We got, you just we, were reading trivia about this movie. and We were watching we were a bit of an talking interview. talking lovingly about Quentin Tarantino, which is no surprise. No surprise. I've known you a long time. That is no surprise. All right. So um, it because is... Because answer this question. Oh. Who are your top two favorite directors of all time? My top two? In no particular order. Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> And Quentin Tarantino. Right. <gasps> I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, let's move on. Saturday, December the 21st. Happy Christmas, everybody. We're getting there. Merry holidays. Happy everything or nothing. You may not do anything. Yeah. Or happy nothing. Just so put everyone's mind at ease. I don't have anything. I don't have any religion or gods of any kind. No, nothing. I don't believe in anything, but I love Christmas. Hold on. I believe in Father Christmas. Are you telling oh. me? Yeah, there's no, there's no. Oh no, you've ruined. There's no everything. Father Christmas. I don't know who you're talking about. We have Santa Claus. You might have Father Christmas. That's not real. We have Father Christmas. Yes. <laughs> so you're telling me Santa Claus is real? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So okay. haven't you seen Nightmare Before Christmas? Well, I've seen Bad They're Santa. All real. Is, it, is that it? <laughs> Bad Santa. <laughs> Bad Santa is what I think of Santa now. After seeing it, when I think of Santa Claus, I think of Billy Bob Thornton as Santa Claus. Well, that's sad. Probably not the best version of him. He ultimately has a better heart. I mean, it he is, starts out. Yeah, 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 true. All right, so it's Saturday, December the 21st. After the show 613, we're a movie review podcast. We look at a movie every week. This week, we're looking at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a 2019 movie. You can pick it up now on Blu-ray 4K or digital streaming. It's rated R. Our friends at Sony sent us a copy for review. Thank you, Sony. And uh, Sid Talk, you give us your synopsis and then I'll give you the real one. This is a tough one. Hmm. Well, it's an alternate reality to a real-life event. So it's not like a biography of a real-life event. And the real-life event was Sharon Tate and her friend's horrible murder in 1969. So it's a retelling of that, but from, from other point of view of, or from the point of view of different characters. All right. I guess. I don't even know. Let no, me... that doesn't even touch it. No, no, no. That doesn't even touch it. That's just one slice of it. I don't even know. It's like, that's all kinds of stuff. And I'm pretty sure that is not on the box. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's on the box. 
Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood visits 1969 Los Angeles, where everything is changing, as TV star Rick Dalton and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth make their way around an industry they hardly recognize anymore. The ninth film from writer-director Quentin Tarantino features a large ensemble cast and multiple storylines in a tribute to the final moments of Hollywood's golden age. Hmm. They don't even mention the... That's longer than mine. What you mentioned as the main (laughs) thing. They didn't mention it. I guess because, I don't know, it's hard to avoid because it's the main thing that everything sort of circles around, the main event, or leads up to, essentially. It's also about um, a person in a career that is now sort of like pooping out, you know, a famous person being like, I'm nobody now. And I've talked about that before, right? Like, you're Brad Pitt in the 90s. And then all of a sudden, is it 10 years later? I'm not sure if this happened to Brad Pitt. It seems like he's always been something, but somebody like that, who's like rockets to the top, like this character does. Uh, DiCaprio's character in this movie has been super famous on TV and whatnot. And then now he's sort of like struggling to be somebody anymore. And I just wonder what that's like, you know, to go from being like. Could you apply that to like William Shatner? Who's like well, he was? Well, Star Trek wasn't hugely popular at the time. But then he got. It in took the, a while. But then he became T.J. Hooker and all that. The yeah, same type. But of, he's always been a bit. I don't know. From him saying it, he gets resentful when people pay attention to him because of the roles he's played. So I don't know what's going on in his head. But I mean, if you're somebody who sort of eats it up, like you were the you were the person of the hour. You got in every restaurant, you got on every TV show, you walk down the street, people are after you, you don't even leave your house because there's people taking pictures of you, and then one day you peek out, because you're like, oh, poor me, I can't even leave the house because of the paparazzi? Oh, wait, they're gone. Do they not love me anymore? And then you're nothing, right? You go from everything to nothing, it seems, in Hollywood. Yeah. And we're kind of getting that vibe from the DiCaprio character. He's just trying too hard to get it back. And so I find that the fascinating element of the story. I don't know if that's the actual heart of the story, but... All right. So we're still in the synopsis phase here. Let's, <laughs> no. Let's get out of it. We wrapped up the synopsis a long time we didn't, ago. We didn't keep actually. up. Keep up. So the uh, ninth film by Quentin Tarantino. I have to say, I thought it was fantastic. And it will be in my top ten movies of this year. Ooh, nice. Um... I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. I tried to stay away from any, you know, if it's something I really care about, like Quentin Tarantino movie, I tried to stay away from the publicity of it. Did you? No, I didn't try anything. I mean, did you <laughs> notice anything? Do you know anything about it? Did you see a trailer? Is- I don't follow any news of any kind for movies at all, so. what? Why are you even on this podcast? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> because I'm a purist. Wow. I'm not a fangirl, fanboy, fan gender neutral. I am a person who has been in love with watching television and movies. I would say I'm 52 years old, so probably since I was seven, or right. six years old maybe even. I remember crying because I couldn't watch Charlie's Angels and I was devastated. So I don't know how old I was, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. 
And I have just loved the experience of watching the thing. I do not necessarily follow every director and what the actors do and why they wrote it and how they wrote it and the back scene and the backstory and the behind the scenes and all that other shit. I just don't want spoilers. Other than that, I don't dig too deep. Now you, you like all the stuff that goes with it all. I'm not that. Mm. You always loved, like, what was your experience like as a young person with anticipating movies because it was different then we didn't have the internet when we yeah. were kids well it was it was the same but not quite as i mean all you had was mo- um commercials at you, movies commercials you, on tv and magazines yeah you went to see them mainly i went to see a movie in the theater and then there was a trailer for another movie in front of it and then i'd be looking forward to that movie after i'd seen this one and then look for it in magazines and stuff mm. or like yeah i used to buy empire magazine which is a like, I don't know what your equivalent is. You have a film magazine, I'm, assu- I'm assuming. I don't know, probably Variety. Right. Yeah, or Entertainment. Or even, like, um, strangely enough, even um, Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah. They've always had, like, sections about movies. And- so I'd buy that magazine every week to see what movies were coming up. And uh, I would go in the video store and look through all the movies. And I would look through the... You know when you go in the video store, if you go to the counter, you can see that thing where it has like a pamphlet which shows you what movies are coming up <laughs> in the video store. No, a lot of the people that you're talking to will have no idea what you're Yeah, you about. literally had to go and ask the person behind the counter and then they'd show you like a sheet, which was the sheet that they used to see what was coming up. And you could go, oh, in three weeks, this movie's coming up. So it's the same as using the internet really, right? <laughs> no just a stone age version of it <laughs> yes you had to like actually leave your house to figure out that shit anyway onto this movie and we might have some spoilers and you sure. can you know there there's not a lot to spoil apart from the ending really right the rest of it's really a character piece it really, really is i mean and that is the thing about quentin tarantino movies you just get so chewed up by the people that's yeah. what I like about it anyway. The story almost becomes like, oh, oh, that's what happened. <laughs> more about, I'm more about like just watching these people. Yeah, like kind of go about their everyday thing. All start, you know, people falling apart in this movie and just really, I think, spectacular acting. You get what I'm saying? Oh, definitely. Like, Sarantino knows how to write dialogue. And I think his dialogue has also become... Uh, it used to be kind of childish, his dialogue, but fun to listen to. If, For instance, watch the beginning of Reservoir Dogs, where they're talking about Madonna's Like a Virgin. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun to listen to because you haven't heard anything quite like the way the people but speak. But it's like hyper dialogue. Right, but it's I think not, he's... It's like pretentious people talking to each other because they think they might be listened to by someone else. Yeah, like cool. Like yes, it sounds cool what's coming out. to think they're cool. Exactly. Now this movie doesn't have that really. It's, it's, I think he's kind of matured with his writing of dialogue. It does have like kind of snappy Tarantino dialogue when they talking back and forth with each other not as much though but not as much no it's more mature realistic it's well aged yeah like if you watch pulp fiction it's a fantastic movie one of my favorites ever but what people say to each other doesn't come off does it age well though it 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 well i I haven't rewatched it for a while but i've rewatched jackie brown recently and that really does hold up i think Mm. um but pulp fiction has a lot of very cool sounding dialogue 
like the Royale with cheese, like, but it do- it doesn't really sound like any dialogue anybody would say to each other. It right. sounds like somebody's reading a book and the other person's reading the other page. It's like, well, a script, like a movie. But um, this movie doesn't have that. But it really has character study. And I thought some of it was fantastic. And it's so layered, this movie. There's movie within a movie. There's Absolutely. a TV show in a movie. There's lots char- of clips of movies inside. Yeah, and there's one of the most impressive things I found. And it's that whole scene with um, Leonardo DiCaprio where he's doing the, where he's in the Western. They film in the Western. And he is, we see just before he goes on the set that he's kind of doubting himself and he doesn't really know if he's any good anymore. Like, it's just in his mind, isn't it, that he's kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. He's also been drinking a lot. I feel like that that's a very just a true-to-life thing about performers. Yeah, and he's telling himself, like, he doesn't really want to drink, does he? Like, he wants to be better, like, you can tell. But So then he goes in, you you know all this about him, then he goes in and does this scene, and while he's doing the scene, with all that in your mind of where his head is at, he completely goes into the scene and knocks all that on the head like an actor does, gets into the character, and then in the middle of the scene... He has a bit of a hiccup, and you can see all like the insecurity and everything, just like Ugh. yep, builds him right up. So that to me is like masterclass acting stuff, where when people get awards for acting, that those moments there was where I was like, oh, he's doing something kind of special there. There's, mm-hmm. there's moments in that where you go, oh shit, like he. He's like a broken man, but he has to disguise the fact that he's broken because he's trying I mean, to make he is a movie. A, he is a performer himself. He's an actor. That's and his job. And then there's also that on top of it. But that's his job. I'm talking about Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. He's yeah, act- true. He's a. That's his job. And so if you come to my movie and I've hired you to be a performer, I'm not going to kiss your ass because you're doing a good job of performing. I'm going to be like, awesome, next. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think it's really good too, but part of it's the character. And how it's edited together so that you are seeing this person be multiple people. But once you know who he is, how he is broken inside a little bit, then you're looking at every role a little bit different. I just think that's really good, but I'm I'm not just like, Um, it's the best thing ever in the world. There were some moments in that particular scene where I was like, shit, this is... There's something here like this. Oh, in that particular scene, yes. Yeah. You're just like gripped. Yeah, this is... But don't forget, we also have had the counseling of the young little eight-year-old actress lady. I'm sorry, not actress. She points out she's an actor, not an actress. Yeah. On as part set. of her dialogue. And she has made it very clear about the high quality standard she expects of herself. Now, this is an interesting scene. I love that scene so much. Yeah, well, he, t- he sits and, and now, talks to a young actress. Right, but she's eight years old. And now he's acting this later scene where it's really intense with her. And she has said these things to him and also been compassionate with him about, because he kind of breaks down a little bit. So you have that in your mind too, that he has been told by an eight-year-old, like she is only willing to give it her all. And here he is showing up half drunk and hungover. And and just basically (laughs) like desperate to be on top again. And she's totally in it, right? So I feel like that you bring that into the scene with you too, because he's hanging on to her real tight, like he's kidnapped her essentially, and is threatening the brother 
of her that he's going to kill her. So she's, he's hanging on to her and he's kind of rough with her and he's got the gun next to her head and everything, you know, but you're still thinking this is still a scene in the movie they're making, but he's got to be thinking about what she said. And she's, she's probably, I thought she's probably sitting there going, wow, he's doing a really good job. Yeah, (laughs) It was very, yeah. It kind of messes with your head a little bit. Yeah. All, all that section was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Absolutely. Also where um, there's the the section where uh, Brad Pitt's character, Cliff Booth, goes to the the ranch place and he just, he's just got this like, I don't know if he's stupid or just like a heroic. It's like a mixture of it. Mm. But he's just like adamant that he's going like, it seems dangerous, right? Well, it it seems more dangerous to us because we know what, what it is. True. He has no idea. He doesn't. He just thinks there's a bunch of hippies, right? Hippies. Um, yeah, hippies get a bad rap in this movie. But there's a lot of hippies, and they could easily overwhelm him. And where is he? Let's tell him where he is. He's at the Manson, what do you right. call it? The Manson family ranch. Yeah. It's he not doesn't a dr- know It's not is. called that or anything in the movie, and it's not like overtly told to you. We just know because we know. Right. So we know that as a viewer. So I'm like, the way he's acting, I'm like, why are you act- you're going to get killed, right? And it looks like he's going to get attacked, doesn't it? Like the way they set it up. The girls are all stood there. People are like, oh, that thing that makes you feel really anxious because he stood outside and then it keeps cutting to the inside and you hear somebody saying, what's he doing? And then you hear them go, somebody's looking out the window and they go, oh, he's like, well, tell me if he comes any closer. And you just keep see, you keep seeing that, don't you? Where they keep saying, yep. tell me if he comes near it. Tell me. And it, it makes it's me like really they're anxious. plotting against him, yeah. And I'm like, he's going to get killed or something? That's whole thing. This whole scene's like so tense because of that. But then afterwards, I did think, well, he doesn't. He just thinks they're a bunch of hippies who've took over a farm. He doesn't know that they're like infamous. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, that scene where he goes to meet um, Dern, I thought was great too. Very good. Um, the. Quentin Tarantino loves to, he loves the movie business, obviously. He loves this time period. What did you think about the way that they transformed new Hollywood now into old Hollywood? I was like, wow. Yeah, me too. The whole time. Like, whoa, how much CGI am I looking at? And then we find out, not CGI. I mean, there might be some, but not the way I was thinking that they were recreating it all, like a big giant backdrop or something, but no. The, The part that freaked me out was where... There's and I'm not lot. sure if you know this, but in 1969, I was two. So it's not like I remember. I was zero <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> well, you were a month old by the end of it. Yeah, but at the beginning in February, I wasn't even around. <laughs> um, You're on your way. So there was, you know, they went into Hollywood and they closed the whole thing down for a bit and re, what do you call it, signboarded everything so it looks like the 60s. Yeah, they put new frontage on these stores, including Starbucks. So that's a big deal. And it's all incredible. And a thing I said to you as soon as we got out of this, finished watching this movie, I said, I love the opening to this movie because I would call it meandering because it feels like it's going nowhere a lot of the time. Like, it feels like, what? what? Like... We meet a guy and then he gets in his car and then we see him drive from one place to another. The whole journey in his car. He doesn't say anything. He's just driving his car. But it's got a feeling that you're just not, I'm not in a hurry for it to be over. And I'm not, it's not a car chase, but it's basically him kind of just driving. 
<laughs> he's a stunt man, but I mean, he's driving through normal streets and it's sort of this cocky, I'm going to drive as fast as I want. It's a convertible. So you've, is it a convertible? That little blue one? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Air and the hair and all that stuff. And it seemed really arrogant and like a very much not like modern acceptable behavior. You know? Yeah, if it you seems just, like I'm the man. Yes. Mm. You the man, I'm the yeah. man. I'm That's the man. what it is, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> but I was, I was into it because it just looked beautiful. And I was absorbing who this person is. Like, why are we focusing on this person? He's going to be interesting in some way. So I liked it all the way around. Yeah, so there's a lot of people who, you know, there are people out there, there are people who complain about slow-moving things. <laughs> and this movie... I wouldn't say is super fast paced, even though it felt very short to me just because I was super enjoying the whole thing. How long was it? It's two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah, that's not short. No, but it doesn't feel <laughs> long, does it? Like the movie. It doesn't. I don't no, think it feels it just right. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning of the movie, I'd, I would say the first, you know, the first part of the movie, there's a lot of that where it's like somebody just driving a car from A to B with no dialogue, just music on the radio. And in fact, you know, Quentin Tarantino's one of the heroes of his movies. And music, his music always has been. There's a lot of music in this movie. There's radio DJs talking. But it just, like, soaks you in the atmosphere. So for me, watching Brad Pitt drive for five minutes, I like it because I'm yeah. listening to the radio. I'm I looking agree. at the sights. And there's a I bunch like to, of that. I like to settle in. Uh, we talked about this before. You love a long movie. But there's a caveat to that because you can't have a long movie Has to be good. that's shitty <laughs> yeah. or um, almost like relentlessly filled with something or another. Now, you love Magnolia. It's a long movie and it is Very relentlessly long. depressing. <laughs> there's nothing. Have we watched it only once? I no, think. I've watched it. And it is an endless stream of like it's heartbreak. Hard. Yeah. And misery and human suffering, like on the level, like emotional human suffering, right? It is relentless. And you feel at the end of it, you're like, oh, my God. <sighs> like, so I like a movie that's got a little bit of, I'm not talking about throwing one liner in here and there, but this movie seems to have like those moments, the driving and then the scene with the girl. And then there's the like high tension um, we bring it with us because we know now by, you know, why you're in, when you're into the movie by about an hour, you understand. We're talking about Sharon Tate. You know the dates roughly. You know the year roughly. So we're going to be including this horrible yeah. event. So there's the tension of that. And then the reminder of Charles Manson and his crew here and there, which just automatically makes you like, these fuckers. Like you just get pissed off. It makes me, it made me feel, when I saw that she was, you know, when we saw that she was pregnant. And she's wondering. And you're about, like, it's about time. It yeah. makes me really mad. Like, I'm like, oh no, these fuckers are coming now. And, and shit, I, people are going to die for no reason. I'm like, ugh, I hate it. You know, we have seen another Sharon Tate movie this year that you didn't like. We reviewed it. We didn't like it very much, right? I mean, it had its moments, but it was, it was very. It was like, uh, I'm not saying Quentin Tarantino is not self indulgent because he, went, he is 100%. I am Quentin Tarantino. I love movies. I'm making this movie for myself. Like, that's essentially how I view his movies. He's making the movie he would want to see. Yeah. And that he thinks things are cool. Like, oh my God, I've got Brad Pitt and 
Leonardo DiCaprio, right? He, inside, he's like, fuck yeah, I'm so fucking cool. Look who I've got in my movie, right? I feel like that vibe from him. That movie was indulgent in a way that's like, I don't know. It felt uncomfortably... Um, that one felt exploitative to me. Yes. Whereas this one doesn't. It feels more... Even, Even though, though their intention is. might have been good to be like, we want to give you... this is It was also an alternate reality of how the Sharon Tate story went down, kind of, sort of. Like a fictional... Inside the tale... What was that movie f- called again? I don't remember. The Haunting of yeah. Sharon Tate. No, The Haunting of Hilary Duff. Not of Hilary Duff. <laughs> <laughs> Hilary Duff was in it. She was Sharon Tate. So yeah, that one kind of... It was exploited. It told more about her, um, Sharon Tate and the characters. And this one, you don't get that so much. It's just a pretty, you get a little bit insight into maybe her aspiring, like she's very excited to be in the movies and stuff. I don't know this young lady. I don't know how she was at all in real life, but that was kind of the vibe from this one that she was just so excited to be in movies. And, you know, that's all you really got from her. Now, in real life, people um, explained her as ditzy. Right? right? I heard that quite a few times when I was reading up about her. Well, that's rude. Yeah, very rude. But in this movie, I don't feel like they go for that. No, it's a little bit innocent. Yeah, innocent, I would say. Naive, yeah. maybe? Yeah. Yeah. When she's sat in the... Th- she goes to watch one of her own movies in the theater just to kind of see... I feel like she likes to see the joy of people enjoying the movie that she's in. I mean, I feel like it's a bit hubris. It's about her and being like... Because she said to her... The lady said it's 75 cents. She's like, well, what if I'm in the movie? Yeah. So it's a little bit about herself and just the whole of it. Like, look, I'm part of this world now. I don't know. I mean, that was just my vibe I got from the the way she played it. I'll tell you, um, I saw an interview with Tarantino about this. He was on it. He just made Reservoir Dogs and he was on a, a date with a woman and he went to the theater and he thought he would be really cool. And they were going to see a movie and the guy behind the counter said, yeah, you know, that'll be however much it was. <laughs> and he said, but what if I was in the movie? What if I was in one of the movies here? They weren't going to see his movie. And the guy says, what do you mean? And he's like, Reservoir Dogs that's playing? I directed that movie on a minute. And the guy was like, huh? Like that. So <laughs> exactly. this, this was that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he said it didn't really work for him on the date. It didn't save him any money. It didn't make him look cool. So he wanted her at least to have the good experience of that. So, yeah, there's a lot of... Tarantino said this is his most personal movie, and I, I feel that, personally. Like I, I feel like it's a really well-constructed, and as like I like to get lost in the story itself, and this movie kind of tears me in different directions. I feel like I'm all at once feeling constantly proud of quentin tarantino this is a person i don't even know but we've watched every movie i assume right yes we've you never... introduced me to him by the way oh, i'd already seen well true romance is my top in my top three movies of Which, all time written by him yeah written by him um and of course i love dust till dawn when i first saw that i was like what the hell so i've been around watching quentin movies for a long time not a huge fan of reservoir dogs sorry everyone what about but pulp fiction it's fine it is fantastic. <laughs> but I feel like I'm watching this. But see, that's what I'm saying. I'm watching this one and I'm kind of reminded every once in a while, like, wow, he's made, he's grown up. He's made an effort here to really dig for substance over flash. 
You know what I mean? Like style. There's not a lot of overt styling even. I mean, the style of the era is there. There's not a lot of like Tarantino stuff, I felt. But I was aware of that. And then at the same time, I'm really interested in this story. I'm really interested in DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. I mean, I'm fully aware. I'm convinced of their characters, but I'm also just 100% constantly aware that it's them, right? So I have that going on. And I feel like all the peripheral people are good, except, well, I'm sure we'll talk about Zoe Bell in a minute, unfortunately. <laughs> She's fine. We'll talk but, about know. her now. So Zoe yeah. Bell, if you don't know who she is, she is a stunt woman in Hollywood. And she actually is an actress in Death Proof, which is a Tarantino movie. And she's a stunt woman, not an actress, let's say. So when she actually is called to be an actress, it's not great. Right? I mean, it's... But she's a fantastic stunt woman. <laughs> I don't know about her stunts because you don't know when she's doing a stunt. I watched a documentary on her. Um, she's all in. I'll yeah, she's amazing at stunts, right? So, but, but as far as performance, it's not, it's like... You go from big Hollywood movie where everybody's trying really hard to do their craft, and then all of a sudden you're dropped into, like, you know, the person who's done a few movies and then is over the top, like, what did you say about it? It's like acting school or acting? Like she's at the school play. Kind of. I mean, it's a little better than that. We've seen lots of school plays. It's not great, though. It's just, it's like she's just... She does the thing, and then she, that's it. Like, I I'm, i don't want to insult her, because she might think that it's amazing. But I think it stands out in this movie. It does stand out. All she does is yell at her husband and yell at Brad Pitt, but yeah. still. Luckily, it's really brief, right? It's tiny. It's like, th- what, a minute at the most? 30 seconds, Yeah, possibly. it's not pretty, it's not very long. But it does stand out, and you go, oh, look, there's, first I went, oh, look, there's Zoe Bell. Because, like, she's in, well, she was in The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. She She's was better in that, though. Yeah, she, she had was. a different. There was a different circumstance, but. But um, she. I was like, oh, there's Zoe Bell. Yeah, I. I kind of expect that it's a Tarantino movie, and then she opens her mouth, and I was like, oh, everything up to this point sounded professional, and that doesn't. But it's a small thing. Um, so let's move on to this. Would be really spoilery. So if you don't want tons of spoilers, go away. So. The first two hours of this movie are this cool character piece that is following these mainly these three people. And it's, you know, it's based around Hollywood. And then the last 45 minutes of the movie, when the Manson thing starts to come into focus, it turns into what I think, what I would call more of a Tarantino thing. Because it's very yeah. exploitative and violent, and I don't know if it's exploitative, but it's it's very much. If you've watched Inglorious Bastards and you've seen the end of that, it's that tone. The tone of that, it's rewriting history, and it's to it's almost so the it's crowd pleasing. The audience would go woo, you know. It's that right? I um, I don't know. I mean, that's the vibe, but I don't know if the circumstance would call for that. And I mean, it's more violent than what really happened, I guess. I don't it, think so. Because it goes... I mean, it's, it's a different up. kind. It's really awful what happened. Yeah, what happened is really awful. But, so, this movie does an alternate take on it. As did that Haunting of Sharon Tate movie. 
but that did the haunting of Sharon Tate movie did it like it didn't happen and it did happen at the same time yeah right that's what I'm saying it's like an alternate reality of fiction inside of the reality it was just kind of this one just takes it that you know the murders on that night don't happen and the people who came to do the murders get what they (laughs) deserve they went to the wrong house essentially yeah not essentially exactly they just showed up and went to the wrong fucking house and they went to the wrong They chose house. the bad, the wrong person yeah. to mess with. <laughs> they found Floyd all grown up. Yeah. It's, <laughs> if you've discussed. seen True Romance <laughs> and you've seen the scene with Floyd on the couch when James Gandolfini turns up and he's asking him, like, where the other guy is. If you've seen that scene, you get a very reminiscent thing of that. All of a sudden you're like, oh, this is Floyd again. <laughs> but it's really funny, like, when it happens. And then it gets very violent, like hardcore um, Tarantino violence. But it's like you've been building to that because you know what these assholes are up to and you feel like Cliff's pretty tough. Yeah. Because he he takes on Bruce Lee in the back lot of the movie lot. So, like, the real Bruce Lee. Cliff is uh, so effing tough (laughs) that he is... He's on an acid trip at the time. Yeah. And he still manages to deal with stuff. Like, really deal with stuff including smashing some lady's head. Oh, yeah. Very terribly. <laughs> really? Oh, it's messed up. It's so violent and messed up. Um, so what did you think of it? Brad Pitt? Yeah. No, what did you think of the ending? Did you like that ending? Do you want... Um, I'm not a big fan of alternate realities, even in the Hitler one that he did. The Hitler one was great. I I, I, I know think. it's. I'm not saying it's not a bad. I'm not saying it's not a great movie. I just think if you're going to write a story, and you're going to make it about a real event, make it about the real event. Don't like honey it up and make it what you want because it really happened. Make it that, or make up something completely different. Right, or tell it from a different point of view. I mean, this was completely different. No, I mean, yeah, but you're still using the same camera. I'm saying make it completely different. Don't include real-life people who were murdered horribly and then change what happened to them. Like, don't even include them. Just make it a complete and utter fiction, not a fiction about a real thing. So that bugs me because I think, on one hand, I can see what you're going for. Like, this is what I would have done to those assholes if they showed up at my house, Right. Because you hate them so much for what they did, let's show it on screen that they really get what's coming to them, even though we all know what really happened. But then I think it's a little lazy. Right? You know, what well, you're you're sort of cheating the system by using this real life thing, making up a different ending for it, and then taking your characters that are all awesome, and then slapping them on top of the situation. I just feel like it's a cheap trick. So I was like, uh, I get it. I knew what was coming, kind of. Not the exact thing. I knew the real ending wasn't going to happen. So I was preparing myself. I'm like, okay, just uh, run with it. <laughs> you know, respect the rest of the movie. And that part was my least favorite. Not the scenes themselves. Or sort I, of that feeling of, ah, oh, that you get a little bit. Like, I wish I could have been there to do that to those people. But Yeah, I also didn't know what was going to happen at the end. I thought they were just going to play the murder was going to happen. And honest. then, like, they would have seen the cops come and show up at the yeah. bottom of the hill. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it's the it's the complete opposite <laughs> of that. It's so, a fictional ending to a real-life situation. Yeah. And I, I was satisfied with it. It involves a dog. It involves <laughs> a flamethrower. 
is pretty crazy, actually, when you Dubs think about it. Dubs got a couple of good spots this year because uh, we had in, you know, with what's-her-face, Holly Berry and her dogs. Right. And what's he called? Oh, John yeah. Wick. Um, John Wick 3. John Wick 3? Is Correct. That, am, I, am I right? Yeah. Those dogs. Um, the dogs in The dog in this is much more violent than those dogs. Oh, well, I don't know. This dog really goes to town on these people. We just focused on him a little bit more. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So let's move on to the cast. Uh, I was satisfied with the ending, actually. I thought it was... I liked the f- the final shot is um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rick Dalton. Yeah, I didn't really like that particular aspect either. I felt like you could just leave it alone because I don't really get what you're going for there with him actually meeting her. I didn't... I was like... Well, they would get. They went for like they were going. I thought they were going for this. If it went down, if it if things were different, just slightly. Ever slightly. Yeah. <laughs> if four people didn't get horribly murdered, including a baby did. that wasn't born yet, yeah. Yeah. If those three did instead of those four, then things might have been better. Uplifting. I don't know about that. M- maybe Rick Dalton. She's talking about fictional. You're not not talking about, like, real life. Like No. Right. I'm just talking about these characters. Like, you know, things would have been better. I don't... But but again, that's so selfish to think, I'm going to take my fictional character, put him in this real world, and if this woman weren't brutally murdered, he could benefit from that. (laughs) Like, I just think it it just sounds so cheap and gross when you say it, when you think about it, but... Yeah, or Hollywood, like, Quentin, or a lot of people see that era as, like, the end of innocence and stuff i mean they say that in the extras but you didn't pick up on that vibe when you were watching that movie that's a bunch of horseshit. i did pick up on that vibe. i don't think so yeah no <laughs> it wasn't there at all there was no hint of that there was no like mention of things changing other than his character brad pitt no quint um dicaprio's character rick the Dalton. change in his life from being like big time tv star and some movies to the slump in his life. That's the change you're seeing. But that doesn't, they don't do anything to make that reflect on all of Hollywood. Because Hollywood is still just a big machine that's moving right along. There's no hint of it changing. Yeah. So um, I was satisfied with the ending. I really liked, it's it's kind of a, it, it does feel kind of abruptly different, I feel like, the last 45 minutes to the rest of the movie, though. You know? You mean not as, like... In style mm-hmm. and everything, it just feels like there's this part and then there's this part. Not as nurtured. Right. Or something. <clears throat> like, yeah. obviously you need a conclusion or of some kind, and it's a Tarantino movie, so you kind of know that there's probably going to be some violence. There is no violence in the movie, is there, up to that point, really? Well, just the fight with Bruce. Yeah, which is, it. like, cartoonish, though. Yeah. I mean, there's a Bruce, a Bruce Lee fight, but it's kind of silly a little bit. So the cast, Leonardo DiCaprio's Rick Dalton, amazing. I'm blown away. That whole scene I mentioned earlier, that's my favorite part of the whole movie. You know? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah? I didn't hear what you said. What were you doing? <laughs> doing something else? No. <laughs> I was actually looking at my IMDb to make sure I picked the right things to uh, recommend. What'd you say? I said Leonardo DiCaprio was amazing. The part that I mentioned earlier was my favorite part of the whole movie. The part where he was acting in the film, inside the film. You mean when he is in the scene with a girl? Yes. Okay, because he's in lots of 
films inside of the film. Lots Actually, the scene before the scene with the girl. Right, so that's just him being his character. Where he's talking to... The girl. Deadwood at the, at the, at the table. Oh, okay. That's my favorite scene. Oh, not uh, mine. Where he loses his lines and he asks... Right. My favorite is him talking to the girl as his character, not in the movie, in the movie. Where she's Um, telling him basically how how professional she is and how unprofessional he is. I like that one. uh, Brad Pitt plays Cliff Booth, his stuntman friend. He's really charming, isn't he, Brad Pitt? I feel like he is. I don't know if he is. I don't know these people in real life. And I said to you, he's, he's literally becoming... Oh my God, the first thing. I saw him in profile. <laughs> they show him walk on kind of steps. You know, he, he, Quentin Tarantino likes to look at their feet and then kind of move up. It's just a thing. You'll see it like 20 times in this movie. And I was like, oh my God, that is like, did they do some sort of rotoscoping with Robert Redford? And two seconds later, you said, wow, he could be like a new Robert Redford. I was like, damn, maybe. He's like becoming Maybe Brad's Robert mom was uh, hanging around Rob. Who knows? But yeah. I mean, he's just like handsome leading man, but he's like really good actor. I, I like that. It's like my favorite Brad Pitt when he's doing that. What this character is like, Floyd. He's kind of he knows what's up. Yep. But he's also a bit. He's not like he doesn't seem like embittered or weird. Now you say his character is based on a real life person. Have we determined who that is? It's not a, an incident involving the incident is based on is not based on the real life person. He's okay. based on a bunch of different people. but So Brad Pitt's character is a stuntman in this movie. He's not particularly famous, but he's this he's DiCaprio's character's stuntman. Always has been. And then is like an odd man, odd job man for him as well. Like fixing up things at his house or whatnot. Maybe that's a thing that stuntmen have always done. Who knows? But um, the story about him, his character is people suspect that he murdered his wife. And then we see a little scene of the wife and him on a boat, and he's got like a shark harpoon. harpoon. She's being all bitchy, and we don't see anything else. People say, well, I don't, don't know if he did. And then Zoe Bell's character is convinced that he did. And so there's that, but it's nothing was ever done about it, apparently. You said that's based on a real-life thing. It is, and you... Well, I wasn't convinced that's who it was because it was very different except for the boat part. Right. Well, that the boat story from the real life thing with Robert Wagner. Right? Okay. Is that's what, what it's Tarantino based on? Tarantino based this on. Okay. Where'd you get that? Uh, on an interview he was, I was reading. Okay. And he just said that he was always intrigued by that story, how a very famous person can go missing and only certain people kind of question it. Not everybody does, like, for some reason. Right. So that was a thing where he wanted to... Because in this movie, Brad Pitt's character is really likable, right? The entire time. You like him, don't you? You're like, he's a cool guy. He's, I mean, I'm neutral, actually. He's, because, he's like the best buddy of this guy. But he's also alone. He's sort of like the guy from Lethal Weapon. Griggs. Yeah, but he's happy with his dog and he's he's yeah, not but an asshole. Doesn't seem to be. No. So all the time you're like, oh, it's I like this kind of mysterious, though. Yeah. But then it brings up that bit and shows you that little clip and we know that his wife is not in the picture anymore and other people don't understand where she went. But then it doesn't get capitalized upon at all, does it? They don't they don't take it anywhere. Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood is the Right, and we're talking one. about the cause of death by the coroner was drowning and other undetermined factors. Right. So she didn't disappear. 
She's well, drowned. She, but it wasn't reported for some time, right? I don't know. I'm that, not I think that was the question of it. Right. And like, then everybody just tried to pretend it didn't happen? Like it, like it was one of those weird things where people were like, why is nobody talking about this? What, why is this guy kind of, even though he, he didn't do anything, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate. How did you like Margot? I thought she was really good. It's subtle because she doesn't have a lot of dialogue. She's just being Sharon Tate. And you know what I mean? Like all she we see is she's kind of fun loving. Yeah. We don't see any torment in her or anything. We just see she's happy. She's got a new husband. And I definitely, I picked up on this and then we heard her say it in the extras was that she's living like the top of her dream. She's married to a top director at the time, you know, before all the weird shit hit the fan. Um, she's getting parts in movies there. She's just living the great life. She's about to have a baby. It's like the perfect life. And that's how it comes across. Like, she's just like, Oh, we never see her upset in this. No, she's very happy. She's, she, we see her at the playboy mansion. She's dancing with her friends. She's just loving everything. Yeah. We do see the playboy mansion. Forgot about that. Yeah, there's a whole scene in the Playboy Mansion. How could you forget? <laughs> the guy, it's not the big a deal to the me. The guy who would play Steve McQueen really looked like Steve McQueen. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, did they put his face on there? I thought they'd put his face on there. I thought totally. it was like, I thought it was some CG thing, but no, it's just a guy who kind of looks like him. Damian Lewis is the guy. Um, Emil Hirsch plays Jay Sebring, who's he's the hairdresser of Sharon Tate, right? And he lives with her. Right. He was um, her friend. Yeah. What did you think of Emil? He's Emil? fine. Again, didn't have a lot of I like him, but he didn't yeah. get a ton, did he, really? There wasn't much to it. You understood what was going on because the guy who played Steve McQueen explained it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a that was an interesting way of making people who are not familiar with any of that understand it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz he's like a he's like a narrator, but he's actually somebody speaking in the movie. It's weird. It's, I was like, oh, okay, that's how you explain it all, quickly. Margaret Qualley plays Pussycat. She's, there's a bunch of these girls. She's the main one, really, isn't she? Like the Manson girls. Yeah. And she's Margaret Qualley. I've just, it's weird because I'm playing Death Stranding at the moment, and she's one of the main characters in it. So I see her all the time, and then all of a sudden I'm seeing her in. in she's Andy McDowell's daughter. What did you think of her in this? She was good. I mean, she's just playing like the subversive hippie girl she, who um, is, I mean, she's, um, I forget what they called it. Did they call her pussy? Because they said. She's called pussycat. Pussycat. <laughs> I think that's what they call her. Um, yeah, they do call her pussy for sure. And she's very, she's in the, in the role. I feel like it was authentic to like a very free, free flowing, but she's sort of like a honeypot. Yeah, she's, she's sexually... Yeah, hooking the dude and then bringing him to the ranch. And if everybody approves of him and then to sort of try to fold him into the family. I feel like that was her role. I totally got it. And she was... She was really... Like, when he asked her how old she was, I thought that was her best moment. Because it... <laughs> I was just, like, convinced. Wow, she's pissed. Yeah, because he... Yeah, they're driving in the car and she's like, do you want me to blow you while you drive? <laughs> and he's like... Basically asking her for some ID. Yeah, and then he's like, "I have never, gone, I haven't gone to jail for a long time, and you're not going to be the reason I go." Yeah, to jail. he's pretty, he's pretty 
knows he's he's not stupid. But he see, knows he's... that can clue you into he doesn't want police nosing around him. Yeah, true. Oh, it's also see? that. Yeah, there's that mystery. It could look suspicious. <laughs> um, Timothy Oliphant plays James Stacy. We know Timothy Oliphant from a uh, Santa, Santa Clarita Diet and Deadwood. Yeah, he has a specific walk, and he still has that walk in this movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> he is just a person. Yes, I like him. He doesn't get a lot to play with, does he? Really. No, because we're not really clued in if he's like an egotistical actor, because what we're seeing is him as an actor doing his role in his new Western TV show that's being made. And so we don't get a lot of like, is he is he arrogant? Has he got a big... It's nothing. He just talks to our guy and then does the scenes with them, and that's it. Uh, Mike Moore is Bruce Lee. There's a scene with Bruce Lee, and I disliked it. I thought it felt like a cartoon it was kind of it's kind of cheesy it felt i liked brad pitt's having a fight with him i thought that was kind of interesting because he's a stuntman and he decides to have a fight with him and maybe that's the thing that happens behind movie scenes you know like it it just the guy who plays bruce lee seemed very phony or something i don't know kind of not quite as bad as zoe bell but it was a bit like he was giving a dialogue on a stage of a play yes yeah because he does a monologue thing before he... Not that I'm knocking plays, but it felt very two-dimensional. Uh, Al Pacino plays Marvin Schwartz. You know what? I can do without Al Pacino nowadays. I don't know why. I'm just not into him. He's kind of fun in this movie, I thought. I liked I liked his way with the words, the way he speaks to them both. Mm. I mean, you know? it didn't have to be him. Right. He's, just a, he's a, basically a TV movie producer guy or something, big wig in Hollywood, trying to get DiCaprio's character as an actor to do italian western which movies. is a real thing yeah in in back in the old days there is like they would take somebody who was semi semi-famous from tv take them to italy and then put them in like these low budget westerns where everybody spoke in the native language so whoever was in the movie spoke in the native language and then afterwards they just dubbed it all into whatever so they they seem really weird because the mouths don't match the words properly. It's they're odd movies, but but it's a thing. It's a style. Some, some of the Italian westerns, the ones starring Clint Eastwood, for instance, are like renowned as some of the best westerns ever. So it wasn't all crap, but there was a lot of crap. And he does Rick Dalton's character does go to Italy to make some movies. He even makes like a James Bond knockoff. <laughs> And uh, I was hoping there was like extras, which was more of those mo- those fake movies, but unfortunately not. And finally, I put down Harley Quinn Smith as Froggy. If you blink, you'll miss her. <laughs> but we, well, I won't speak for you, but I'm a fan of Kevin Smith, and it is Kevin's daughter. A fan. In- Kevin Smith movies were basically my litmus test when we first met back in the 1998 on the old internet. Probably you said you sent well. me a list of movies to watch, and I feel like if I had told you I watched them and they were all crappy, that we wouldn't be having this conversation today. <laughs> yes, we've been married a long time, and we've known each other since before the internet was a really big deal. We're very old. We're very old, and you sent me the list, which included things like Clerks, Chasing Amy, Pulp Fiction, Mall Rats, Pulp Fiction, California was on that list with yeah, Brad was. Pitt. With Brad Pitt, very yeah. good movie. So I got the uh, I got the test. I, I apparently I passed because I liked them all. Yeah, you did. <laughs> well, so I would say you more than like Kevin Smith. Yes. 
So this is directed by Quentin Tarantino. It's his ninth film. He says he's only making ten. He doesn't want to keep making films if he doesn't have any ideas. And he's always kind of had ten as a round number for making movies. Um, his, ne- his next idea is a Star Trek movie. Have you read about that? Mm-mm. He wants to do an R-rated Star Trek movie. Um, and like official Star Trek? Official Star Trek. And he's I'm not always into Star had- Trek movies. He's saying this to me because I'm a Star Trek fan. He's Star Wars. I'm Star Trek. Right. But I'm not into any of the movies. I've never been in love with the concept. I would just watch the shows that exist forevermore. He That's has an idea me. for a movie, he, for a Star Trek movie that he's had for some time that is in his kind of style and not really, it doesn't really fit with the other Star Trek movies at all, he said. Then don't make it Star Trek. And no, he wants it to be Star Trek. There's some reason it's supposed to, it, he wants it to be Star Trek. Probably he's picked up on one character of one mention on some planet <laughs> yeah, somewhere where the character is like so fucked up, but you only, they're only there for like two seconds and then you're, you leave. Like it's just like a little drop in character. And there's a lot of those where you could be like, whoa, I'd like to know more about that world. Yeah. He's that very, I could accept. He's written the script. He's very specific. He doesn't know whether it'll be his 10th movie or whether it's just an idea. He... The Star Trek world is very vast, just like Star Wars. Yeah, it is. Like the Mandalorian is like mm-hmm. a small corner of the Star Wars thing. So who's to say Tarantino couldn't make a small corner of the Star Trek thing? Maybe it'll be a TV show or something. But then again, I want people to make up their own shit. Make up something new. Pulp Fiction didn't exist until he made it. Like, it wasn't a thing, right? Well, I mean, inspired by things. Inspired by, but not like telling the same story some other motherfucker told a long time ago, but he decided to do it in a different and better way. Just make up something new. You can do it. Oh, I just, uh, I just, when you said motherfucker, which you just said, (laughs) I just had a realized that Samuel L. Jackson's not in this movie. <laughs> That's what reminded you. <laughs> yeah. <'Cause he's laughs> not just, at all. He does like to be in Quentin's movies. And, um, extras on this Blu-ray. There are, there are a few. I will uh, name them off for you. Mm-hmm. There's Quentin Tarantino's Love Letter to Hollywood. There's Bob Richardson for The Love of Film. There's Shop Talk, The Cars of 1969. Restoring Hollywood, the production design of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and the fashion of 1969. There's also seven additional scenes that total 20 minutes of Maybe additional... Maybe that'll get your Tim Roth, because it said he was cut. Yeah, I will be watching those uh, later today, I think. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of extras. No commentary, but Tarantino's not a commentary person. You know, he doesn't, doesn't like to do them. So, uh, IMDb reviews, what are those, Sid Talk? Those are reviews that people write on IMDb, beep, but it's not just all of them. It's the ones that have one star, and you like to read them because if you agree with them, it's like, yeah, these people are geniuses, and if you disagree with them, it's like, what a bunch of idiots. So let's see what they have to say today. I'm I'm assuming you're going to disagree with them today. Yeah, so these are the one star. And I'm gonna make a. I'm gonna make two predictions. One, somebody's gonna mention how long it is, and two, somebody's gonna say how boring it was. Yeah, and I will give the. I give this a ten out of ten. These people will give it a one out of ten. So here we go. <laughs> Mister Number One, Mister Emetus says, if this script had not been from Tarantino, it would have never reached the theaters. Long, boring, and pointless. Oh, all in one. <laughs> I was. <laughs> from, my predictions both came true at once. And this guy says, where to start? The end credits. 
Exclamation point. Possibly the most boring, self-indulgent rubbish I've ever seen. There is no plot. It's just disjointed bits and pieces lumped together with no thought or consideration and no editing. Mm. No editing? <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, this is a spoiler-free review, as there's nothing in it to spoil. He says. Hmm. This guy says, Exhausting. Sitting through this film for that amount of time, for 10 minutes of action, and a non-existent plot was very hard work for me. How this got a review of 8.0, when the overall consensus is it's a pile of doo-doo, is beyond me. I just want to understand. Okay. I realize in life we're all busy. Sort of. You got shit to do, right? You, If you work, you work. If you don't, you don't. You still got shit to do. You got... Bills to pay, I guess, and paperwork to do, and places to go, and kids to raise, and husbands to feed, and food to cook, and houses to clean, and all that shit, right? I get it. So when people say, it's like a waste of my time. Yeah, you're so important. Why the fuck are you watching movies if you're so busy? That an extended movie. And what are you doing with your life? Are you the person who literally spends... 20 hours a day in a fucking lab curing cancer and you only have these four hours to yourself and so the waste of your time, your precious time before you get back to save humanity? Fuck off. You don't have anything better to do with your time than anyone else. And if you don't have the time to watch a three-hour movie, don't watch movies. Like, seriously, watch the clips, watch the trailers, whatever. I do not understand this argument. It drives me insane. All right, and finally, this guy. This is the last guy. Good, because it got me all riled up. He says, The only good thing is the performances of some actors. Three hours of my life I've lost. <laughs> the performances of some of actors. <laughs> That's very specific. Yeah. So, um, there you go. There's the IMDb people. So I imagine in that person's life that they haven't... I just don't get it. Like, I don't get it. So, in conclusion... Once upon a time, they must be very fucking organized. These people that they make every moment of their life so preciously valued to everyone on the fucking planet that this, ugh, we've had people say that about hour and a half long movies. So it's not like the longest movies are the issue. It's these people. What what are they going to do? You know what they're going to do? They're going to sit their ass on the same fucking chair where they're sitting now with their same tub of food sitting in their lap and click a little button by moving their thumb. That's about the only thing they're going to be moving to click on another thing to watch another thing. That's how important they are. Ugh. All right. So thank you to Sony for letting us review this movie. Uh, Next week. Next week in our last, will be our last one of the year, won't it? Think so. We will be reviewing the movie Hustlers, and also we will be giving you our top 10 movies of 2019 that we've seen, and our top movie of the decade. So think about that, said Top, oh before my. next week. Oh my. That'll be a difficult one, I think, because you have to go through everything. Agree. Yeah. I mean, I have spreadsheets. It so might I take us a go. week to figure that out. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> I keep track. All right, so um, movie recommendations at this time in the show each week. We I'll recommend you some movies based on this movie. And mine are very simple. My favorite Tarantino movie is Pulp Fiction. And my second favorite is Jackie Brown. So I'll recommend both of those to you. 
To me, personally, I've seen those. But thank you. And mine are, I wanted to think of a movie where someone's trying to tell the story of a real thing. But clearly, this is one of those things that who really knows? But that it's so appealing to me. I don't mind that they're retelling what essentially is a true story, I guess. True-ish. Is 300. No, true story. I mean, it's based on the idea. The myth. Yeah, the myth of how things changed in the, you know, in like the Middle East and middle of that area of the world. Now, I know that's not a true story, but it's like somebody taking that, turning it into something new. I like that one. And to your pleasure, I think there will be blood. Feels like it's about a real guy, but it's not. It's about, it does touch on the Daniel Plainview. Yeah, the birth of the oil and gas industry, right? So that's the kind of vibe you get from it. But it's not based on anyone real or anything like that that I'm aware of. It's based on the book. But um, it feels like it is. It's so intense. And that's one of those two that it's kind of a tour de force in misery. There's not a lot of levity in that one, but it's really good too. It's it's like a masterclass movie though. Paul Thomas Anderson is not a cheery guy. Nope. (laughs) He is not. Um, so yeah, there are recommendations. I've been playing more Death Stranding, uh, delivering packages at the end of the world. I've also been playing a little game called Human Fall Flat. It's on Game Pass. It's like a puzzle game. You're a guy, you control his arms and his legs, and it's very difficult to control him. It's like each trigger on your controller is one of his appendages. So you have to kind of... It's not very finesse, you, you know. He's kind of a, a mess. You when like you that octopus about. game. It's kind of like that Octodad. octopus game, but not quite as difficult. What was it called? Octodad. Octodad. Yeah, it's like that. Where it's a, like a difficult, where it gives you a simple task, but because of the control of the person, it's kind of hard to achieve a very easy task. So, um, and it's a puzzle game. You're getting through these different worlds, and you're figuring things out. It's on Game Pass. I've really enjoyed it. I played a bunch of it, and. Uh, that is my stuff for this week. Sid Talk, what is for dinner? Oh, tell us your story first about dinner. Well, the story is since about... Mm, I think Mar- you probably said it in the show. Yeah, before. March, April, I all of a sudden lost my sense of taste and smell. Now, I could still tell that I was eating something with sugar or with salt um, or tart or something like that. But it's more like just like this blunt... And faint at the same time. Very hard to describe. And sort of a constant flavor of vomit a lot of days that Mm. I don't really talk about. But just this constant, like, vomity dirt taste. Coffee and chocolate were two of the worst possible things. The smell of it made me want to throw up. And then just taking a drink of coffee was like... (coughs) Something in the coffee was... Whatever was wrong. My taste buds, my sense of whatever was like... We're trying to brainwash you into hating coffee because it was repulsive. Like, like I, I describe it as you take the floor of an old fashioned car garage where there's this like oil everywhere and you scrape that up and then you put it in a, a ashtray with ashes and burnt up cigarettes and then you add some water and then you put in some old vomit and then you eat that. <laughs> that Yum. <laughs> well, if you really think about what I'm saying... It's very difficult to cope with. Now, I've been to three different doctors this year about different things, but mentioned it to all of them. And they're like, oh, that sounds awful. End of conversation. 
There's no like, there has been zero like, hmm, let's look at these, all these medications we're giving you for other things, like a liver problem and I have thyroid thing and whatever. Acid reflux. I've got all the middle-aged round woman stuff, basically. But this was just like, they had no intention whatsoever of even investigating it. So I've done a lot of investigating. I thought it was due to one of the pills I took or maybe a nap, whatever. Still couldn't get it fixed. All of a sudden, to make a long story short, as what's his name would say. Um, Who would say that? You know, Stormzy. Oh, <laughs> long yeah, story sure. short. Um, last week, it's been about seven or eight days now, my thyroid medicine prescription ran out. And my doctor, she's kind of snotty and she's like, well, I mean, I haven't seen you and I can't really fill it again unless I see you and talk to you. I'm like, everything's the same. Everything's the same except I can't taste anything. Can't. That's the only difference. Well, so I'm like, fuck it. I just won't take it anymore then. Thyroid medicine. Yesterday, I was in the kitchen. I thought I was having an emotional breakdown because all of a sudden I could taste my tea. Now, up to this point, tea has been like a little, like a cup of muddy water with some sugar in it, but Sugar has been tasting kind of like when a t- when a cake or a cookie start to go kind of bad, Yum. and they're sort of fermenting, and that's overly sweet smell with a little bit of rot behind it. That's kind of how sugar has been tasting. I can tell that it's sugar, but I was tasting the tea. I was like, "What? Hold on." Then I drink again. I'm like, "Can I smell my tea? I could smell something like." Tea doesn't smell like a lot, but I was like, what is going on? And my counter, because I've been baking cookies, another weird part of the story, I can't, haven't been able to taste them or smell them for the last three weeks, but I've been baking all kinds of cookies. I have all the ingredients on the counter. I'm like, okay, well, let's taste some stuff. And I picked up a little piece of dried strawberry and I was like, oh my God, (gasps) I can smell the strawberry. I can, oh my God, oh my God. And I taste a little bit of coconut. I stuck my finger in the sugar. I stuck my finger in the salt. I stuck my finger in the chili powder mix that I made for Christmas gifts. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. (sighs) And then I looked and I'm like, chocolate chips. They've been my enemy. Chocolate has been my enemy for the whole year. And I love chocolates and chocolate chips. You do. So I got one out and I put it in my mouth and I was like, (gasps) oh. And I got emotional and tears were flowing and I wiped my tears and you came in pretty much right after that. And I was looking at you like, I was, I like, I was like, what? what's wrong with you? I was like, I don't even know if I, I thought I was going mental. I thought I was like, is my brain just so tired of it? <laughs> We've got an A word over there who's talking. Am I just, is my brain just so tired and kind of depressed about this? And people will say, oh, what's the big deal? It's just eating food. Well, I happen to like food and It's hard to describe why it's impactful, but I said, I think I can taste stuff again. I don't know for sure because I think I might be going a little crazy. And so then I'm like tasting everything. (laughs) Seriously, I tasted a cookie that I'm I'm like, (gasps) I'm opening all the bottles, like the vanilla and the orange flavor and the rum flavor and the coconut flavoring. I'm like, (sighs) I think I can. (sighs) Uh, But then it's like, I'm not convinced because do I remember what it smells like? And I'm just having a breakdown. I don't know. But then as the day went on, I was more and more convinced. And today still, I take a drink of tea and it doesn't taste like rotting cake. It tastes just like kind of boring tea and sugar, <laughs> to be honest, rotting which cake, is fantastic. So. Yeah, the rotting cake has been a tough one to deal with because that's the sense it gives me is this like everything is a bit rotten or like Yo. dirt or ash. Or 
nasty vomit. Like that's been the thing. And I've read a lot about it. This is sort of part of the phenomenon of a thing called gyasma, I think it's called, or anosmia, where you can't taste or smell or whatever. My theory now is the thyroid medicine, for whatever reason, wasn't working nicely with the other ones, or it changed at some point, and or whatever. I don't know. I'm not questioning it. It has now. to be to do it, obviously. It has to be. It's the only thing that's changed. To have it sudden like that. Because seriously, the first cup of tea I had yesterday, nothing. The second cup of tea, I was just standing in the kitchen and it was like, <gasps> as quickly as it happened when it went away. Because I was sitting on the floor. I was sitting on the floor in the living room eating my supper. And I was like, why can't I taste anything? Like I, It was like I was eating cardboard. Like everything all year has been like, difficult to navigate around because textures have been really ugh, like vomity and you don't know me you don't see me i'm a round middle-aged woman i, I love you. my food i mean i love eating food i love tasting it and cooking it and tasting it some more and eating lar- i'm an excessive personality so i like lots of it if i'm gonna eat a thing it's gonna be a lot of it and so some would say, well, this is a good thing, right? <laughs> You're not wanting to eat a lot of anything. But it's it just takes away a connection you have with the world that you take for granted. And now, again, I have no medical anything of this. So hopefully over the next few days, we'll see how it goes and it will remain or even improve. Um, so for supper, something you've been excited about all summer is the Impossible Whopper came to town finally. <laughs> oh, It's awesome. <laughs> And I have been eating it each week. It wasn't repulsive or disgusting, so that was good. Nothing in it was like a poor, uh, really horrible texture that I couldn't handle. Because I've e- even lettuce for the last few months. It's like I love lettuce. I love salads. I but I've been really, really into really crunchy things and really salty things in the last few months. So the whole Whopper has been great. It's a nice texture, but I can. It was like eating. Like, you've erased the flavor, you know? It's just a nice bun and a nice texture veggie burger and some nice tomato and all that. I mean, I can see it, so I know that's what's on it, and it was fine. Tonight, you're very excited that I'll be able to, like, <laughs> actually taste try the Whopper. So I'm excited, too. Nice. So that's what we're having for supper. That's a long-ass story about what we're having for supper. So what I would say to you is... And the weird thing is, I've mentioned this to people through the months, and they'll almost every time you're really in a conversation, they'll go, oh, well, my mom has that, or my aunt has that. My mom even has a friend who's an older gentleman who's been having true depression because of it in the last year or so, and had, again, doctors are like, well, you know, it can be a lot of things. Almost like it's unimportant, which makes you want to punch him in the face. Um, so she said, she sent me a message just a few minutes ago, that said, we told him and he now feels much better, like there's hope. And so maybe he can look into the combination. Because he's older, so he probably takes combinations of weird medicines. Like, you know. So if you're having any weirdness, or if you think it's unimportant that you have weird symptoms like that, and other people act like, you know. I went with my best friend this week. She had her final breast surgery because she had breast cancer, double mastectomy, reconstruction. That is a big fucking deal. So when I'm telling her that I just can't taste my cookies, I feel like, wah, wah. You know, I'm just like, and she's just like, no. She's like, you know what's been getting me through this whole year, her cancer year, is eating delicious food. And I'm like, exactly. And so you have to put it in perspective. Like, for me, it's been a big deal. 
compared to other people's dramas and traumas and actual tragedies, it's not a big deal at all. It just is impactful up close and personal, and I'm hoping that it stays gone. What the problem? And what is your advice, or is that your advice? No, my f- advice is, because, um, again, after spending the day in the hospital with my friend's daughter and another friend of my friend, and the mention of another friend of hers is jealous because another friend is there, and I'm thinking, I want my friends to have a lot of other friends. First of all, it speaks to their character. It means I have good taste, right? Because this person is beloved by many people. And it tells you more about them because every friend has a different experience with each friend. And that means my friend, whoever she is with me, she can be another slice of herself with other people. That's just kind of how it is. You know, I mean, she and I have been friends since we were kids. So we're pretty much 100% ourselves with each other. But you still have that little sliver of yourself. Like, I'm not super nerded out with her because she's not into the stuff I'm into. I want her and all my friends to have tons of other friends, not just for their own health and well-being, but because the more, and I told her this and she agreed. I said, the more friends you have, the less friending I have to do. (laughs) Like I'm not obligated now to like be consumed with a lot of time with each individual friend because each friend has other friends and I'm not the most involved friend. So If you have any weirdness about your friends having other friends and doing things with them and going places with them, just be glad that they are loved by lots of people because that that's good for their life and your needs are really not their responsibility. Well said. Thanks. Succinct to the point. It was not, but I'll take it. Exactly. So I'm exhausted um, after all that talking. Okay, so have a nice relaxing rest now while I (laughs) do through the finale <laughs> stuff all right so catch us on social media catch us on our website ascully.com our podcast is in all the places you can find podcasts instagram twitter facebook email ascully ascully.com don't email sid talk and stay classy mr quentin tarantino and everybody in this movie it was awesome it was and i'm gonna say think for yourself or someone will do it for you <laughs>